Hello, everyone. I'm Jacob Chastain, host of the Teach Me Teacher podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Art Coombs III, best-selling author, dynamic speaker, leadership guru, and the CEO of Combea Corporation. Today we are focused on his latest book, Hard Easy, a get-real guide for getting the life you want. Lots to learn today. You're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it would be so awesome if you opened that app that you're listening to me on and went in there and rated and reviewed and maybe even subscribed to the podcast. Could you? Would you please? (laughs) Thanks. Enjoy. Hey, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 has a sponsor, Boone's Titanium Rings. You can find them at www.boonerings.com. And I can't say enough about their rings because I actually am a customer and I wear one. Uh, That's right. My wedding band uh, that I'd had over 34 years had uh, developed some issues over the years where it had to keep fixing it around the um, the underside of the ring uh, because it kept breaking. And eventually a chunk broke off and I couldn't fix it any longer. So um, went to uh, Boone's Rings and uh, I uh, chose out a uh, personalized laser engraved ring that uh, has these real cool pistons and stars on it. And uh, there's all kinds of styles that you can use, but that's the ring that I have. And I don't think this one's ever going to (laughs) break. So, uh, which is good stuff. Now they got lots of choices you can choose from and uh, everything from colorful rings to the laser engraved. You've got different choices of uh, inlays like these d- different plastics and uh, meteorite and which is really cool by the way. The meteorite one just <laughs> I think is awesome. And then you have these other types of uh, materials that they use like wood also um, as well as they make other uh, not just rings. They also make an assortment of earrings and uh, um, little tools and uh, and different items like that. But um, it'd be really cool if you went and uh, checked them out at uh, boonrings.com. And uh, just a note, I have an affiliate relationship with them. And uh, if you purchase one of their products while using my my code, which is all caps, T-L-L-K, and then the number 12, when you go to check out, you'll get 10% off and Teaching Learning Leading K-12 will earn a commission. So uh, check them out. You, you need to look at some rings, don't you? I love mine. I think you'll love yours. You are listening to Teaching Learning Leading K-12, a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Best-selling author, dynamic speaker, and leadership guru, Arthur F. Coombs III brings decade of global expertise to readers, audiences, and corporations through his visionary and innovative practices. Founder and CEO of Combea Corporation, Art has served more than 15 years developing and marketing tools that blend human intelligence and automation. Art's best-selling Don't Just Manage, Lead has been hailed by some of the nation's top executives and his book, Human Connection, How the L Do We Want to Do That, which I love that title, provides a powerful formula for success in relationships of all kinds and has been said to captivate and inspire readers. Before founding Combea, Art served as EVP of Strategic Initiatives for First Source. As CEO and founder of EchoPass Corporation, he helped build the world's premier contact center hosting environment. Art has served as Cento Corporation CEO, Managing Director and Vice President of Europe for Sykes Enterprises, and has worked for organizations such as Hewlett Packard, VLSI Research, and RasterOps. Art's vast experience with people and organizations has led him to sharing transformative principles as a charismatic speaker. Principles you can now access within the pages of his books. Art has been interviewed many times on TV. Coombs has been featured recently on Salt Lake City's ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox stations. Find out more at www.artcoombs.com. Art resides in Utah. And uh, are you looking to change your life, overcome a challenge, pursue a goal, and stop making bad decisions on matters of health, wealth, and relationships of lifestyle? Today, we are going to focus on his latest book, Hard Easy, A Get Real Guide for Getting the Life You Want. Art, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Well, thank you for having me. Hello. Well, I'm glad you're here, and uh, we've got, uh, your, your book is awesome. It really spoke to me, and I, and I, love, I, I love all the stuff you get into, and what I want to do is kind of jump to the back of it and come forward uh, for, it. for a minute. So, 
the opening of chapter 21 of Heart Easy starts this way. From kindergarten to third grade, students learn to read. From third grade onward, students read to learn. I'm sure this is how it works for most, but for this dyslexic dude, it did not play out that way. Could you talk about discovering that you had dyslexia and its impact on your future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember vividly, I was in Mrs. Ulmer's third grade class and I was very competitive. Uh, I had common sense, I knew that, but we were doing a spelling bee and I went home and I studied my brains off. <laughs> I worked hard and uh, my friends I knew did not take it as seriously as I did. But when I got into the classroom and we started the spelling bee, I was uh, fumbling all over the place and my, uh, my friends effortlessly just spelled their words. And I knew then in my, I, I thought something was amiss, something was wrong. Now, luckily for me, my father had gotten his uh, PhD from Stanford in education. And back in those days, you could identify dyslexia, but they really didn't have a really a good feel on how to um, help the individual. You could identify it, but there are really very limited tools. Um, but my father, I'll never forget my father, uh, literally almost arguing with my mom because my mom wanted to take me out of athletics and wanted to send me to special schools and. And my father said, no, what we need to do is focus on his self-esteem. If he, if Art grows up with a healthy self-esteem, a, a healthy love for himself and confidence, not arrogance, but a real confidence in who he is as a person, dyslexia will sort of play itself out and he'll learn how to deal with that obstacle, with that cross that he's been given because he has tons of talents but we want him focused on his strengths not his weaknesses but yeah that's how that's where, where it started but i can tell you and in, in the book i make i make mention of it all through my elementary school all through junior high all through high school i clung to my dyslexia as an excuse i hid it from people as best as i could but i clung to it as an excuse that absolved me from really going the extra mile, from really putting in the time and being excellent. And I just said, well, this is, this is who I am. This is how I was born. So therefore, I'm okay with settling for mediocrity in the classroom because I can't, I can't compete with everyone else. They don't have to deal with what I have to deal with. So I'm going to just be okay with C's and an occasional B minus and, you know, whatever I get. And um, so, yeah, it was, uh, that, was, that was sort of my, uh, my uh, childhood. I appreciate you sharing that. And it, and it is something interesting that you talk about that, that, that it almost, you know, kind of letting that make your path to the, or what, you know, it's kind of drawing a line for what your path will be or putting the... You know, Absolutely. And I, <clears throat> there were other people, and I think there were, there were you know, dyslexia, um, especially back in the, in the 70s, was, we didn't know a whole lot about it. And there were educators in my life who, and I'm sure every dyslexia will tell similar stories, but there were educators that would say one of two things, art is lazy because I know he's not dumb. I've, I've been around him. So it must, just be, it must just be that he's lazy or he is dumb. And I've had educators do this. I've even had counselors encourage me to focus on, literally, this is what I quote, Art, I would encourage you to use your brawn to make a living, not your brain. Because your brawn, you're gifted. You, you physically have stamina that very few people have, you, you have common sense, no question about that, but go, when you go to make a living, use your brawn, not your brain. And uh, I remember coming home and telling my dad that, and my dad was, he never got furious, so I can't say that, but I can tell you he was upset. And my dad said, Art, 
you can do pretty much anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. Focus on your strengths. Your brawn will eventually wear out. So I would discourage you from following your counselor's advice. You use your brain. People are going to pay you to implement solutions, not spell implement solutions. They're going to pay you for creativity. They're going to pay you to look outside the box and come up with creative solutions. They're going to pay you to lead people. They're not going to ask you to spell those things. And um, so I was blessed. So I, That's awesome. I mean, a great, uh, uh, appreciate you sharing that because what a, you know, if, without, I mean, it, you could see where it could easily have derailed you to, to not even focus on what uh, you end up focusing on. Yeah, I had, I had, I had so many, and, and I, I tell a story, it's not in Hard Easy, but it's in, in my other book, Don't Just Manage Lead, but I, I graduated when I finally kicked in, I was 25 years old, I finally kicked in and I focused on my strengths. And if you read Hard Easy, you'll read, I, I developed 10 commandments that I religiously followed all the way through college. And I graduated with a, a 3.85 and a 4.0 in my major, and I got honors and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to go and get a graduate degree like my father. That's what my dad did. He was my hero. And I felt like in order to be a hero like my dad was, I needed a graduate degree. And so I, my dad went to Stanford. I applied to all of the best schools around. But I went to uh, Darden. I really wanted to go to Darden University of Virginia. And I flew out there twice. I was, attended classes. And this, the second time I was really pouring it on, the first time I got rejected, but the second time I was really pouring it on and I really wanted to get in. And the Dean of Administrations could sense my passion. And I think he thought he needed to match his, my passion with his passion. And so he got, literally got out from behind his desk, pulled his chair knee to knee with me, poked his finger in my chest, and said, Art, you don't have what it takes to be a student here at this school. Wow. And it was, it, was, it was so painful, so, so painful. And it shut me down. I said, I'm really sorry. I disagree with you. I think all you're doing is looking at my GMAT scores and maybe an old SATs or something. I don't know, but I can't ever, I can't compete with people on those power tests, but I can compete in other ways. Anyway, that, that ended. About two weeks later, I uh, got a letter, another letter, a rejection letter from Darden. And it's hanging on my wall right behind me. And my wife said, why are you framing a rejection letter? <laughs> and I said, because two things. One is, there's always going to be someone faster, bigger, smarter, you know, prettier, richer, I don't care what it is. There's always going to be someone that is going to be better than you. And that's okay. So it keeps me humble, but it also motivates me because I can look at that Dean of administration's name and his signature, and I'll be damned if that guy is going to put limitations on me. Absolutely not. Now, Paul Harvey, and this really did happen. Paul Harvey, at the time I was working in Europe, and so I flew back to Europe. Nine months later, my admin came into my office and said, Art, there is a so-and-so on the phone and he has a very unusual name. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Now, my first reaction was they had offered so many students places in their class coming up and they didn't fill them all and they keep a certain number on the bubble so they can go and make them an offer. I thought he was calling me to say, hey, Art, you know, we'd we've reconsidered it and we'd like you to come to the University of Darden. That's not what happened. So my mind was going, oh my gosh, I'm getting in. And I got on the phone and he said, Mr. Coombs. And he said it with such a deference that it caught me off guard. Because here's the guy, the same guy who poked my chest just nine months earlier, telling me I couldn't be a student at his in his university. He said, Mr. Coombs, we've been given your name by the Netherlands Foreign Investment Agency, the NFIA. And they say you're an expert on how to implement the FEMBOC Treaty 
within the European Union on behalf of a US corporation. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I was like, yes. And he said, and I quote, I don't know if you're aware, but many of the top MBA schools gather every summer for a symposium. And we invite experts such as yourself to come and help us understand the real world situation so we can better inform our students. Would you be willing to come and help teach us about the FEMBOK Treaty and how you implemented it in Europe at our upcoming symposium? I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. I couldn't believe it. And I wanted to, whenever I tell this story to groups of people, I know what they want me to say. I know they want me to take my pound of flesh. They want me to rip into this guy and just nail him to the wall, but I didn't do it. I asked, I wanted to go, believe me, I wanted to go. I asked my admin, I said, hang on one second. I put him on hold and I said, hey, am I available for this weekend to be in, in uh, Pittsburgh? I think it was going to be at Wharton or somewhere. And my admin came back and said, Art, you, you can't be out there. The CEO has got you in an executive retreat out in Camelback Mountain in Arizona. And the whole executive team is going to be out there. Or you can't be in two places at one time. So I got back on the phone and I said, gee, I'm really sorry. I'm humbled. I'm flattered. I really appreciate it. Uh, I can give you a couple other people's names that might fill my shoes. But uh, I've got a conflict. That's the last time I talked to that guy. But the, the moral of the story is I think that a lot of times, and I mean, I was there, we allow people to sort of, based on their perceptions, sort of influence us and tell us what we can and cannot be. And that story, I felt like I had to be like my father and that taught me a great lesson. I believe someone somewhere up in the stars, the creator, the universe, whatever you want to call it, someone was sending me a message that I don't have to be like my father. You're, you're your own man and it's okay. Just do the best you can do. And the other thing it taught me is don't ever let someone tell you, you cannot be successful. Yes, we all have weaknesses. Yes, we all have disadvantages. We're not perfect. We're not the fastest. We're not the brightest. We're not the smartest, the tallest, the whatever it is, but we can be successful and be the best versions we can be. And that's sort of what hard easy is all about. That's awesome explanation. And I appreciate you telling that story. And you're right. You know, part of, you know, part of my brain's going, eh, yeah, you know, he's not going <laughs> to no, he's going to take the high road. So I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Cause I did. I, I took, I took the high road. He, he never once, I never talked to him. I still see him occasionally on LinkedIn and in different areas. He's still over at university of Virginia, but I haven't ever said a word to him, but I still have his signature right there on my wall. <laughs> Well, kudos for being able to take that high road. That would be, oh my gosh, not quite sure you know who this is sitting on the other end of this phone. He had, he had no clue. I promise you, he had no clue. <laughs> quite obviously. Oh, wow. So uh, let's talk about, a, let's, since you've started talking into Hard Easy, let's go there. So, um, so, and what I want to ask you first is who should read Hard Easy? I think it's, I think it's really any parent that has a child that is struggling with a learning disability or struggling in life in and of itself, you know, any young person that feels like they, you know, got, you know, got the short end of the stick or got a bad hand when they got dealt their cards. Um, I can tell you there are many pieces of my life where I just, I just felt, wow, you know, I, this is the hand I was dealt. This is, these are the cards I got to play. And I focused on my negative, my weaknesses and not my strengths. I think it's anyone who's stuck. I think sometimes, and we all get stuck. I get stuck myself sometimes where, you know, I, I let myself sort of physically sort of, I get lazy. I get, 
uh, <laughs> I have some gluttony and, you know, we all go through that. Um, and sometimes we all need, we all need just a little reminder of, Hey, you can do this. You can do this. I know it's hard right now, but you can do this. We can make this work. I like that. So, so let's transition into share your law of hard easy. What's, what's, the law of hard easy is really, really simple. And I, like I say in the book, I think I sort of lived it and sort of subconsciously knew about it my whole life, especially through wrestling. And if you know anything about wrestling, wrestling is a really physically and emotionally demanding sport. It's one that you, I never in all the hundreds and hundreds of matches I wrestled, I never could blame it on a teammate. <laughs> My teammate didn't lose the match for me. I was the only one out there on the mat. I had no equipment to blame. I had no ref to blame. And so it was very, um, it was very sobering in, uh, in many ways. But the law of hard easy is simply this. You can live hard easy or easy hard. It's your choice, it's your life. And what I mean by that is we all are faced with decisions. If you choose hard up front, the hard, difficult choice up front, the consequence is almost always easy. Easy follows. If you choose easy up front, the consequence is always hard follows. And I don't care, you know, again, for me, it's as real as gravity. It doesn't matter if you don't understand gravity or you don't agree with gravity. If you jump off a cliff, gravity will take its, take its place. Hard easy is the same way. And I tell my kids this all the time, all the time. You know, my daughter, she's now 32 and she's get, she gets credit cards all the time from different banks and different stores and stuff. And, you know, she's like, dad, look at this. They gave me a thousand dollars. These guys gave me $3,000. These guys gave me $5,000. And I'm like, Hey, I know how tempting it is to go out and buy really flashy clothes and to get that car and to get that big screen TV that's the easy route. But I promise if you take the easy route and just run up that credit card debt, you'll, you will have to pay hard down the road. My son and homework. And I tell the story in Hard Easy. You know, he was a con artist for <laughs> several years until I caught on. And, um, you know, and I, I still to this day, not as much. He's, he's really not as much, but uh, I said, hey, listen, I know it's, it's, you come home from school, you want to just sort of check out, you want to play video games, all your friends are online. I get it. That's easy. It's enticing. It's endorphins go off. I get it. You're kind of like engaged and fun, and, but you got to do your calculus homework. And so here's a little trick. Here's a, here's a little thing about hard easy is when you choose hard, whether you choose it up front or it hits you on the end. If you choose easy up front and hard hits you, either way, whenever you are in hard, you're typically doing it alone. See, my, kid, my friends, all of my son's friends want to play videos online with him. They all team up and they play these games and they're fascinating games and they have all this very intricate you know, teamwork going on and and I know that many of them are in his same math class. And I say, hey, AJ, or Kai, you know, why don't we shut down after this next game and let's do homework. And I know a couple of these other guys are in your class. Ask them, stay online, get in a Zoom call, get in a chat, you know, a Skype call, whatever it is, and do your homework together. They all scatter like mice. But when you want to play games, they're all bang right there. You know, look at an athlete. You know, we, we, we look at people like LeBron James or Steph Curry or all of these amazing athletes and we see them on the TV. That's their easy. They make it look so effortless. What we don't see is the thousands and thousands of shots they're taking early, early in the morning, all by themselves, nobody else. They're practicing their dribbles. They're doing all the fundamental work outside on their own so when they get in the arena and they get in the game that's when it's time to shine and i think a lot of times 
we as humans sort of absolve ourselves and say, well, you know, LeBron James or Steph Curry or whoever it is, right? Michael Jordan, they were so gifted physically, you know, see, because that absolves us. We don't see all the hard work. We, we just think, oh, they're all just amazing athletes and I could never be that. So why, you know, but no, they, these people put in lots of hard to show us glimpses of easy. I, I love authors. You know, I, I look at Malcolm Gladwell or David McAuliffe or Stephen Ambrose and I read their books and I just, I mean, I'm so jealous and I'm so in awe at how they write or Brene Brown. But what I don't see and I know goes on is thousands of hours of research and writing and rewriting and, and deleting and editing and this and that. What we don't see is the hard. And we have to remember there's hard that got them that easy. That's sort of hard easy. That's, that's, I mean, and it's, it comes out so awesome in your book. I mean, it just, uh, as you build us forward and you talk about uh, different aspects of it and working with your own children and uh, um, different lessons that you had to teach them and so forth. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I want to get to is a, is a chapter um, <laughs> that has this awesome title, Neanderthals Don't Have 401Ks. Can you talk a little bit about being hardwired for instant gratification? Because that's what you start going. Yeah, ab absolutely. I, I think so. A lot of people say, well, you know, what's wrong with instant gratification? <clears throat> the answer is nothing's wrong with instant gratification. We are who we are as humans because of instant gratification. Our Neanderthal parents survived because of instant gratification. For millions of years, that's all there was. I kill a wildebeest and I gorge as much as I can because I don't know where my next meal will come. Or, you know, I hate to sound a little crass, but I find a female and I mate and mate and mate because I don't know if that's going to happen again. And I want two things. I want to survive and I want my lineage, my, my, my you know, my prodigy to survive. That's all it was about. I want to stay warm. It was all about instant gratification. And as we evolved and all of a sudden we started planting things in the ground, that's the first time when all of a sudden we as humans started to say, you know what? We actually might be better off in the long run if we went about this a little bit smarter. And let's plant some stuff in the ground and let's wait and let's water it and let's weed and let's do some hard work. And later in the year, we can live this really lush, abundant life. And so we, we have to understand that we are, we are hardwired for instant gratification. And I think, you know, one of the challenges, you know, this, this whole world we live in with these, you know, these PDAs, it totally taps into that, that, DNA in our brain and in our soul. And sometimes I think it, we allow it to take control. And we live in a world where, you know, <clears throat> people come up to me all the time. They go, Art, I love what you say. I, I think it's great. Um, but is there an easy way out? You know, is, is there some other way? And there are lots of books out there. I can tell you you know, I'm, I, I will avoid using the name of the book, but there was about 10 years ago, there was this movement about intention. All I have to do is have the intention to do something. Now, I agree that we gravitate towards that that we think about most. No question about it. But thinking about something is not enough. I hear people all the time Say, I want a better job. I wish I could start my own company. That's what I want. But they think and think and think and think and think and they go to their job that they hate and there's no action. You cannot just think something into being. You cannot just say, I think, I intend that I want to have a better health and not do anything with physical exercise or your diet. You just can't do that. 
And yet there are a lot of people who want these quick fixes, these easy, you know, just look online, look on your, your phone. I'm fascinated with these people pushing physical fitness exercise programs that only require 10 minutes a day. Right. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So anyway, and, and, and the list goes on and on and on. You, we could talk about wealth. We could talk about health. We could talk about relationships. We could talk about education and it, it just goes on and on and on. And people, uh, you know, people often fall prey to this need for instant gratification or a quick fix. I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, one of the things that uh, you get into in the book is a little bit more detail about something that you just mentioned a, minute, a second ago. You actually have a, a chapter titled Seduced by Easy. And, and in there, you get into this, this idea about, uh, you know, we should focus on the fix. So can you just kind of segue into that, what that's, that's all about? Because the seduced by easy is such a, <laughs> it, it's such part of our world. I mean, people are constantly selling this, that, or the other that uh, says that all, 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 all of the time, all of the time. Um, and easy, actually, I had another one. You said that I, I had, I have the original writing in my head that I had to edit out my, my people. <laughs> easy is that relationship you would see in a bar that you know will never last, that will only be there for a couple hours that night. That's easy. That's not hard. Hard is finding another human being that you really connect with. Get emotional because I'm thinking about my wife. A human being that you really connect with, that is there forever, that is there for your ugliest moments, for your stupidest moments, for your ups, for your downs, but is always there. That's the hard, you know, being patient from that, not being seduced into this fleeting flash in the pan sort of instant gratification, physical gratification. You know, all too often, I think we focus on the fix. I, I think we also focus too much on the big issues when we should be focused on the micro decisions. And I tell my son all the time, don't worry about what, don't stop thinking about what university or if you're going to get in or all that kind of stuff. Stop thinking about, you know, worried about being married and finding the right person and all that kind of stuff. If you focus on the little character, the choices you make daily that form your character, I promise the right person will see that and that person will come into your life. If you focus on your homework and doing the best you can right now for this next upcoming test and just focus on those little decisions, it will take you down a path that you want to go. I talk about it in the book. Hard When you make hard decisions, opportunities and agency expands. When you make easy decisions, agency and opportunities contract because I get, I get a more narrow and narrow options available to me. Um, I tell a story in my book. I've got a really good friend who has smoked for 30 years and he never could, never could quit. And now he's dealing with some serious health issues. Now hard is really wreaking havoc in his life. And he just, uh, when I talk to him, it's just so painful for me. So, so painful. He would give anything to have never picked up a cigarette. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. You know, one of the things I got to make sure I, I talk about is that your book is, is really good in the way it's formatted, all right? And uh, um, there's probably friends of mine that are very good at gram um, grammar that are going, Steve, was that really, did you say that right? <laughs> but you know, it's, you have these neat sections at the end of each chapter and one's called chapter recap and one's called pause and think. And I just wanted you to, I want to take a, you know, look at this real quick. Why'd you include these? I, <clears throat> I read a lot of self-help books myself. I love them. And all too often, especially when I'm reading self-help books, I'll be in the middle of a chapter, totally engrossed, and the author has me totally thinking about this, 
and I get so excited and I'm so excited about the whole concept and about the book that I just go to the next chapter. And then I'm totally engrossed in that chapter. And I often close the book and I'm like, what was that? What was I so excited about? I, there's a little piece of it that's missing. What I wanted to do with pause and think um, and chapter recap is I wanted to tell you what I just told you, but in a very succinct manner. So it stuck with you because that's the way I learn. I hear a story. I go, oh, wow, that's interesting. Then I, t then I tell you what I just told you. Then I really wanted to make it personal. I, I really hope people will stop and pause and think and go, okay, here's what I just learned. How does that apply in my life? I mean, really, how does this work? What, will, will my behavior change? Or will this just be another self-help book that I just go, oh, that was really interesting and cute. And I learned some stuff and it was nice. But will my life really change? And, um, and I think one of the, one of the best things, you know, and, and I say this all the time, but if, if I can just reach one person and I know I, I have had a couple of people reach out to me and they said, Art, I read Hard Easy and I want you to know that I called my mother. I haven't talked to her in a decade because of a family feud we've had, but I've called my mother and we've repatched that relationship. And it's just little things like that. Or, or I have a friend who is grossly overweight and, you know, she'll say, Hey, I just want you to know I stopped drinking Dr. Pepper for you. I mean, not for me, but because of you, you know, just doing little things, just taking little micro decisions and building on that. And to me, that that's like, that is so gratifying. It's so, so gratifying. It's got to be. It's got to be because, you know, the, the, um, I got to tell you, just as, you know, for the listeners, as you're reading the hard easy, you're going to be uh, inspired, motivated, and he, and he gets to the point and, you know, kind of like the gentleman who was pointing in your chest, you know, you get, he, uh, Art's doing the same to you, okay? <laughs> Except I, hope, I, I hope it's lovingly. <laughs> it's, I think it's lovingly. I think it's in, in a different way. And it, and, uh, and, and it's kind of confronting you with that, that whole point about what are you, you know, why are you making excuses? Let's, 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 let's move on. You know, and, and, you know, one of the things I want I got to, you have some neat chapter names, by the way. And I, you know, chapter six, um, you talk about the intelligent idiot and the stupidity score. And I got to make sure we, we talk about that just a little bit. Can you explain sure. this? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, so I've always believed that you have intelligence, um, and you have knowledge. And a lot of people will make a claim, there's a, there's a phrase out there that power is knowledge. Knowledge is just knowing a bunch of stuff. You can have tons of knowledge and be incredibly stupid. Intelligence is applying the knowledge you have. So I tell the story of a very good friend of mine out in, I was living in Woodbridge, Virginia, and he worked in Washington and he had a PhD in nutrition. And one day he said, all right, hey, you wanna know a little secret? And, and his PhD was focused on the evils of refined white sugar in our diet today and the, and the havoc it wreaks. And he says, you wanna know a secret? I said, sure. He says, every morning I put a couple tablespoons of white sugar on my cereal. I'm like, what? <laughs> Here's a guy with all the knowledge in the world on the evils of white sugar. And he still puts white sugar on his cereal, which I'm sure already has white sugar in it. Right. And it just really, it just blew my mind. <clears throat> but what really, what this really says and the, the, the principle I'm trying to teach is if your five-year-old child puts white sugar on their cereal. The adverse effects are the same for that five-year-old child as it is for the PhD, the, doc, the doctor who has a, a doctor degree in the evils of that sugar. The adverse effects are the same, but one is acting without the knowledge. 
They, have, they don't have the knowledge or the understanding. And one has all of the knowledge in the, on the planet. So the stupidity scale, what I call stupidity scale, one isn't stupid. The five-year-old isn't stupid. They're just ignorant. And that, I use that in the purest form of the world. They just don't know what they don't know. But the PhD, the guy here, that's stupid. Even with his PhD, he's stupid. And all too often, we know what we should and shouldn't do. If you have knowledge, it's like my friend in smoking or my friend that's overweight. If you have knowledge that something's going to hurt you or doing X is going to be beneficial in the long run, even though it's painful, and you don't do it, that's the very definition of stupidity. And I talk about the stupidity scale. So I hope I explained that. Yes, right, you did. But, it's a great chapter too. It's a, it's an excellent chapter because it really makes yeah. you question about this stuff where you, you know, as a reader, where you are on that. You know, it's a, it's we, we all do things and me included. I do stupid, stupid, stupid things sometimes. And I think we all have our own little vices and our own weaknesses and stuff. And, and I think we're all on this journey of, I, I hope we're all on this journey. I, I'm, I'm imagining that some people aren't. Some people, I, I talk about what the hell effect, and some people have succumbed to the what the hell effect of what I mean by that is there's nothing I can do. Because I lived that with my dyslexia. I had what the hell effect, which meant there's nothing I can do about it. So why try? Right. And I think a lot of people get into that rut of, uh, you know, hey, so what? One more day of eating a bag of Doritos and downing a two liter thing of diet, pep, diet or Dr. Pepper isn't going to hurt me. You know, I'll start my diet tomorrow or one more cigarette or I'll, I'll just buy this one other thing on Amazon. There's one other thing. That's all I need. And then I'm done. I'll pay the credit cards off next month. I promise. I promise. I promise. Uh, but then next month turns to next month and next month. So here's a lot of different ways, isn't it? The, uh, it, it in chapter 11, you get into identifying and purging excuses. Um, so let's, let's go that's there. My fa that's my favorite chapter. Cool. It is my favorite chapter. Um, one, because <clears throat> I used them. I've used almost every single one of those. And I've talked about it already. I, I clung to the excuse, and we hear it all the time. You know, the, the big excuses I hear all the time is I'm only human. You know, why do we use that as an excuse, really? Right. And I go into detail on that, and it bothers me a great deal. I understand the very definition of being human is we make mistakes. I get that. And we all make mistakes, but we don't have to use that as an excuse. But I, I see politicians, I see famous people all over the place make horrific decisions, you know, spousal abuse or, you know, embezzling or just terrible decisions. And then they'll get on and some lawyer or on their, they themselves will get on media and go, I'm only human. As if we as society should absolve themselves of the harmful decisions they made because they're human. What if we all did that? What if we all did stupid, stupid things and said, well, hey, Stephen, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I hit your car and, you know, I'm human. So I give me a break. Give me a mulligan. I'm done. The other ones we hear a lot are, uh, I was born this way. And that's the one I clung to. I was born this way. This is who I am. Sorry, I can't change. Um, I was raised this way. You know, we see this one all the time. This is the way my father was. And, you know, hey, my, my, my great-grandfather, I heard he had a short temper. My granddad had a short temper. My dad had a short temper. I have a short temper. It's just who I am. I'm sorry. Just how I live my life. You know, so you have to deal with it. Um, often I'll hear people come up to me after presentation and they'll, and they'll say, man, I love this. I want to change. But not today. You know, now they're procrastinating. They're pushing it off. Or I want to change, but I don't have the time. Or I don't have the money. Or I want to change, but my spouse doesn't want me to change. You know, we hear all these kinds of excuses come up. I, have, I want to change, but I don't know how. 
And in that chapter, in chapter 11, I'm hoping, I'm calling out excuses I use all the time, me personally, or I hear or see. And I'm hoping people, this is one of those where I kind of am poking people in the chest and going, hey, lovingly, don't use excuses. You don't, don't do that. You're selling yourself short. It's an awesome chapter. That message comes through loud and clear. <clears throat> Glad it was included. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you do through your book is you make sure that uh, you're, you're getting towards, uh, you know, here's these behaviors. Now let's talk about getting out of that world. And you, you, you talk about developing a purpose plan and a vision. Can you just share a little bit about that path? Yeah, I think, I think one of my sort of literary heroes is Stephen Covey. I, I loved, I, th I think his book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is one of my favorites. Brilliant, still is to this day. But one of the slogans, taglines he always said was begin with the end in mind. And so if we don't have a vision of who we want to be, if we don't have a purpose, um, uh, Simon Sinek calls it your why. You have to have a why. Why am I doing this? See, I can, I can look at a problem and I can say, here's what I want to do. Here's who I want to do it with. Here's when I want to do it. Here's how I want to do it. And that's all, that's all good. That's, that's managing yourself. But if you don't have a why of why you're doing this, why gives you that future look of where, of where you want to be as a human being? You know, I, I always tell people in, in work, <clears throat> people leave their employ, employment or employer because they do not believe that that job situation will allow them to become the person they want to become and that they've now been introduced to another opportunity that they believe will allow them to reach what they want to become two, three, four, five years down the road, faster, more, more effectively, and with, you know, greater success than their current job opportunity. And so beginning, you know, having a purpose and having a why of why are we doing this? There has to be a deep why is that will keep you anchored and it'll keep that rudder going because you're all, you're all, you will have setbacks. We are in February, right? Everyone made new year's resolutions, right? <laughs> February is the month. Everyone loses those resolutions. We all drop them. If you don't have a strong why February will hit you. And again, whether it's fitness or, you know, saving money or whatever it is, you know, we get into this and we, we have success for a few weeks and then all of a sudden we plateau and we lose interest and, you know, we lose enthusiasm. And, and again, February is the month that a lot of people will drop their New Year's resolutions. And I personally believe it's because they don't have a strong enough lock or, or vision on that purpose and that vision. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And you do a great job of explaining it in, in the book. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, I, I got to make sure, because you, you, you mentioned a couple of things at the beginning that I want to make sure that we finish with. And, and one, of, one of them is, it's chapter 19 is the five friends you need and the five friends you need to avoid. I love this chapter. All right. <laughs> um, you start the chapter by talking about the power of friends. Could you talk about the power of friends? Yeah, absolutely. I think... So, well, I had to be very careful here. So, um, there's a, 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 a often quoted or a meme that's on social media that says, you are the average of the five people you hang around with most, or your five closest friends, you are the average of those people. And to a certain extent, I believe that and then I also will challenge that just a little bit. And I don't, I don't go into great deal detail in the book, but let me first challenge that. When I look at people like uh, Mother Teresa or Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King or Mahatma Gandhi, and I study their lives, believe me, they weren't the average. 
of the people they were around most. They raised that average. So when you hear a slogan that says you are the average of the five people you're around most, I think a lot of people think, well, gee, my old high school buddy, he's kind of dropped off the, you know, the cliff. He, he's kind of an alcoholic now and, you know, he lost his wife and he doesn't have a job and he's living on the streets. And so therefore I should ditch him because he's going to lower my average. I think that's a really short-sighted way to look at that if that's the way you read it. However, I do believe that, and it is proven that the more you hang around with people, the more you will talk like them, you will think like them, your behavior becomes more like them. So look at the people you're hanging around with and objectively try to step back. And it's really hard, but try to step back and go, do I really like that behavior? Is that the kind of behavior I want to emulate? Because I will emulate it, even though I say, oh no, I would never do that. Believe me, it will seep in. So I do, I talk about, and I sort of gave them, uh, I like using a little play on words and the five friends that I like all start with C <laughs> and the five friends I don't like are all start with D. And uh, so I'll let the readers go in and, and read that. But I can, I can tell you, uh, to, to this day, I, I can tell you, my wife will say something and I'll say, thank you for being my cheerleader. Thank you. And she knows what that means. I think that those listening to the podcast, they won't fully understand what the cheerleader is until they go and read the book. Or, or you know, thank you for being my champion. Or thank you for being my chaperone. Um, and then there are some people in my life that are drainers and downers and and uh, and I think it's 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 not you know we we become so in so in the social media world we're told all the time hey if there's someone in your social media feed that is bringing a negative feeling it's okay to defriend that person. It's much harder when you, because when I defriend you, I'm not, you're not there. You're not physically there, but in, in a physical world, it's okay if you sort of distance yourself and say, you know what? Every time I'm around this person, I really, I have this negative pit feeling in this pit in my stomach. I need to alter this to where I don't have these kind of reactions. And it's okay to sort of distance yourself. I love the messages in this chapter and uh, I love, like you said, the, the two categories, it, it definitely comes through loud and clear. We got the C's and the D's. So uh, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. And the message is, is amazing. And, you know, and something you mentioned earlier was the, in chapter 21, you get into the 10 commandments for achieving academic success for those with or without dys dyslexia. And you explain these 10 commandments. And three of my favorites are sit in the second row, just off center, away from the door. <laughs> and I love that one for a personal reason. Cause that was kind of my path. That was kind of, you're almost, I'm like, Oh my gosh. I mean, um, the, uh, and I, I would tell people, don't talk to me. I'm in class. All right. This is, uh, this, there's a reason why I sit here. All right. Focused. Yeah. And uh, uh, my next one is organize study groups with, with other students and then it's dash serious students, <laughs> which I love that. And two to three weeks into the semester, personally meet the professor. And uh, I got to, I got to get you just real quick. Could you talk about one or two of those or just your. Ab absolutely. I, <clears throat> I, I, I made it a habit. So I, each of those 10 commandments was focusing on my strengths and my strengths were physical endurance. So, I recorded every class and I listened to every lecture within 24 hours. I was going to out endurance you because those were my strengths and it supplemented my weaknesses. Um, so I was going to out endurance anybody, any other student in that class. Um, I went from a student in high school that had the worst notes on the planet. If they were even notes, to a, a student in college that had the best notes, often professors would challenge me and say, no, I didn't say that. And I'd pull my notes out. I never, ever told them I recorded, recorded the conversation, but I'd pull my notes out and I'd say, well, right here. And I quote, bang, bang, bang. 
I know it was there. But one of my one of my uh, one of the Ten Commandments was yeah, within the first two to three weeks, go up and meet the professor. And I would go in, and I learned really quickly. Uh, one of my strengths was people skills and sort of reading people and and learning people. But I learned really quickly that professors like everybody, but I promise you, professors love to be stroked, especially when it comes to the subject of their doctorate. So if they're teaching English or logistics for business or math or whatever it is they're teaching, within the first two or three weeks, go in because that's soon enough to where no other, no other student has come in to their space after class. So you're typically the very first student they're really going to meet because everyone else is just faces and numbers and in a big auditorium or in a classroom. So I go in and I introduce myself as Art Coombs. Now, why do I do that? The very first person you meet at a party is often the person you will remember most. I want the professor to know who I am. I want that professor, I'm not a number, I am Art Coombs. I then stroke the professor and say, hey, you know, you were lecturing on X, Y, and Z, and I just want to know, did I understand this correctly? And one is when I reiterate back to them what they had just taught me, it strokes their ego, and it's like, absolutely. And some professors would just go off, you know, and they would just go off and off and on and run, and I just let them run. But my real angle was not that. My real angle was, and I almost did it, if you remember the old Frank Colombo movies, where he's walking out of the room and he turns around and goes, oh, one more thing. <laughs> love it, love it. <laughs> but that's exactly what I would do. I would say, oh, thank you so much, Professor, for helping me. I, I, I love your lecture and I, I'm glad you reiterated that and I understand it correctly. And I turn around and I'd say, oh, one more thing. I just want to make sure how I get an A in your class. And then, because that then planted the seed, this guy is going for an A. And, and this guy's an A student. I wanted that planted in their mind. The other thing I would do, I'd even take it to the next level. And I'd say, oh, great. Okay, so you grade on the curve, or you grade on this, or you grade on that. Got it. I'm locked in. Do you by any chance give out A pluses? What would I have to do to get an A plus? And that often stunned a lot of professors because they would say, you, you, the A plus has nothing to do with your GPA. And I'd say, oh, I know that, but I'm not here for my GPA. I'm here to learn as much as I possibly can learn. That's what I'm here to do. What do I have to do to get you to put an A plus on there? And he goes, I, a lot of professors say, I've, I've never done that. And I said, okay, well, hypothetically, if you were to do it, what would someone have to do? But what I, what I did in that short, typically it was anywhere from five to 30 minute interaction, I introduced who I was. Now the professor clearly knew who Art Coombs was. He clearly understood I was a serious student. He clearly knew I wanted an A plus, not only, I mean an A, but he knew I wanted an A plus if at all possible. And, and often they would tell me what I'd have to do. And all I had to do was now do what they wanted me to do. And if you're already listening to the lectures twice, if you're doing all the things in those 10 commandments that you're doing, doing that little extra mile is not a hard thing to do. Here's another little tip I learned. If you do not introduce yourself to the professor and you're sitting between an A minus and a B plus, often the professor will give you that B plus. But if they know who you are, if I know who Steven is, and I attach that space with Steven and he's asking questions and he's always there, you're going to get the A minus. So anyway, that was just one of the 10 commandments. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Cause that's, they're, they're so cool. As I went through those, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. And the you know, listeners, you gotta, you might want to go to that chapter first cause you gotta go spend some time there. And uh, cause, and especially those of you got children, all right. Who are, who, who are well, the, the children really have to buy into it because <laughs> I can, I can tell you my kids are like, dad, I'm not going to go to my teacher in the first two weeks. That, that's stupid. That's so lame. I'm like, well, that's, it's okay. All Lessons I can learned. do is teach you. All I, all I can do is teach you. 
<laughs> exactly. Lesson, lessons learned, man. Lessons learned. You know, the, uh, um, and I, I we're, we're running out of time, but I gotta, I gotta get you. Why'd you include the chapter 22 is about death. Mm-hmm. I think the older you get and I'm now 60 years old. And I think when you hit 60, you start to sort of evaluate what your life was all about. And, you know, statistically, I have 20, maybe 30 years, if I'm lucky. And how am I going to use those 30 years? See, because in the law of hard easy, it's harder to apply the older we get. Again, remember, if you choose easy, agency narrows. So the longer, the longer the runway is, the more you can leverage living hard easy. I tell my kids, my, my kids, this is something dad is really militant on. They have 401ks. And they, I just tell them, I say, look it, if you put just 50 bucks or 25 bucks in your 401k every month. You're now 18 years old. Let's do the math and let's look at what you'll have. Look at, you know, what you'll have at the, when you're 50 or 60 years old, because hard decisions over time magnify themselves over time just like easy decisions will magnify themselves in a destructive path to my friend who smokes. See, even if he wanted to, the sad reality is if he stopped smoking, he lives the rest of his life with consequences. Even if he stopped, even if he said, okay, now I'm going to start living hard easy. If he were to stop now, he still is going to be living with the consequences of easy decisions. So I think death is really important for us to sit back and go, death is going to happen to us all. It will happen to us all. And if that's the case, I can't think of any greater motivator for us to really buckle down and do what we need to do. We have the ability, every single person out there, every one of your listeners has the ability to live an abundant great life. They can be the best versions of themselves. We don't have to compare ourselves. I'm never going to be a Larry Ellison. I'm never going to be a a Bill Gates or a, you know, a billionaire like that. That's not, I'm not, I don't care, but I can be the best version of Art Combs I can be. And if I'm not, that's on me. And I want to go to my death. I want to do that with no regrets. I want to do that where I feel comfortable and confident. I can look at my kids and say, I did the best I possibly could. Yeah, I made mistakes, but I did the best I possibly could. I fought to the end to try to make life better for you. I love it. It's, it's just awesome. And that message is right there right for your readers and uh, art can't thank you enough the uh you know we're we're getting ready to close and uh, art if someone wanted to connect and and uh connect with you or learn more where would you send them arthur f coombs on instagram uh facebook arthur f coombs uh you can follow me there i've got a website artcombs.com but i would go if, uh, if you want to learn about me i tell stories and in all my books and they all have a lot of personal stories and i'll, I'll end with sort of that I tell personal stories because I find that people resonate with them. Not because I'm anyone great, but I can tell them with poignancy and with passion. And I find the more personal I get, the more I touch people. And so you'll hear, you'll learn about my kids, all four of my kids. You'll learn a little bit about uh, me as an individual and a lot of stupid things I've done in my life. All right. It's, this has been awesome. And I, I, got, I got one last question I want to ask you in just a second, but I got to tell you, readers, you know, I'll make sure I have those links in the show notes as well as uh, I, I left some 
some questions out because you got to go back and read them. And there's a story about the art with a horse <laughs> and there's a Walmart story and there's a whole bunch of them. And uh, you're going to, you're going to love reading these cause you're going to go, Hey, yeah, I get it. All right. And, and uh, art is awesome at and sharing those stories and uh, appreciate it. Art, this has been fantastic. I, yeah, the last question I want to ask you is, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? Someone who, who if you had a chance to say, thank you. Um, I, I had many, I had many. That's a, that's a loaded question. I had a lot of teachers that uh, were discouraging, um, that didn't understand, and that's okay. Um, but I had a lot that were just so nurturing. So first and foremost, my father, no question about it. And he was a teacher in and of himself. Um, in fact, I read your bio and you literally could be <laughs> my dad taught history and was the principal of a high school and and uh um so my dad was a teacher i had a wrestling coach that was an incredible uh teacher and leader real leader uh dr densler i remember i had a professor at uh dianza college in cupertino california dr densler who I just absolutely loved Dr. Stringer. I loved as well. Uh, Dr. Densler was San Jose State. Stringer was at De Anza. And, and then my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Yamaguchi. And I tell a story about Mrs. Yamaguchi and the story of shame. And uh, it's not a negative reflection on Mrs. Yamaguchi, but uh, she was she was a really uh, a special individual. Well, Art, I appreciate you uh, sharing. That, I appreciate you spending the time with us. I, I can't thank you enough for talking with me today. I love your book, Hard Easy, A Get Real Guide for Getting the Life You Want. It's inspiring. It's extremely helpful in seeing beyond the things we put in our way or the excuses that we make to not do what we should be doing. And you have so much awesome wisdom to sh share with the readers. Uh, wishing the best in all you do. Thank you so much for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.